With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that the pharaohs would listen to if they were still ruling over Cairo today. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you are a mythical beast, as sought after as the griffin or the mighty centaur. How are you, my friend? Doing well, sir. It's good to be back here. You know, it's been a nice long week. Um, you know, feel relaxing, and I'm slowly getting more amped for football as baseball and other sports come to a close. I'm with you. I probably don't officially start to get excited until you feel that first chill in the air. Things are like starting to heat up here, so we're kind of headed towards peak summer. Uh, obviously, our eyes are already on it as we're going to spend half of this podcast talking about football, but. Yeah, we're kind of in that weird period of sports now. Last couple uh, finals games, Michigan baseball is officially done. Uh, were you watching any of that? Michigan, plucky, plucky run down the stretch. And once again, freaking Louisville, man. You want to talk about a, a school that we just, we owe one or two to, to Louisville. Yeah, add them and Villanova to the list as well. Uh, the other yeah, Wolverines were underdogs in uh, their last 12 games and won eight of them. So very impressive job down the stretch to even make it this close. Uh, fell a little bit short against Louisville with the controversial call at second, to say the least. Some were calling it worse than the JT spot, but I wouldn't go that far because baseball, you know, is barely a sport in my mind, especially when compared to Michigan football. But nonetheless, they were screwed. 
Yeah, uh, I don't hold baseball in nearly the same esteem. There was an argument going uh, around the internet the other day about basketball and if they should shorten the seasons. And they're like, well, they play 162 in baseball. And I'm like, my brother, have you sat front row at a baseball game? Try and tell me that's as physical as any of these other games. And football, we're not even in the same planet uh, as far as physicality there. But um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you that this was a fun little run. I tuned into what I could. It was mostly just following things online because I didn't have access to to actually be able to watch it. So who do you have as our like official enemy that's not one of our big two rivals? So like the out of conference enemy is it Louisville or is it Villanova now? Because like clearly, clearly we have like budding feuds with both of these schools. <clears throat> I feel like it's Louisville now because they've crossed two sports with basketball from the 2013 national championship to now baseball with um, this past year. So with Villanova, it's only basketball, although it still hurts more like to me, but like with Louisville crossing sport lines now, like what's next? Is it track? Is it hockey? God forbid it's football, but like Louisville has definitely like put themselves in that tier of like out of conference kind of obscure rival. Yeah, for sure. And they are really, really recruiting well in football right now, too. The, they've done a really good job with their NIL or something. I don't know how people are wanting to go to Louisville. I've been to the town. It's not the worst place in the world, but it's also in Kentucky, which is among the worst places in the world. So Louisville's like a bastion of decency and an otherwise wretched, wretched state. And uh, I don't like them anymore. I'm, I'm over them. Yeah, I went to a bar there once called like Bar Under the Bridge, like literally that, like right outside the KFC Yum Center. You know, had a great time. It was a you know, nice little weekend there. But again, if you travel, you know, 10 minutes south, it gets dark real quick. An under the bridge bar, a place for trolls and homeless people, which is about the population of Kentucky. So uh, Kentucky catching strays here for no reason other than I'm, I'm real mad about this. Uh, this bad. It was a poor call in that game against Louisville too. I don't know how you review that and then uphold that, but it's unfortunate. And uh, we don't play them in football anytime soon. Yeah. uh, Trolls and things under the bridge. Explain why I was with my ex-girlfriend there. So we can just put a bow on that. Perfect. No notes. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) So yeah, uh, I'm with you. I got Louisville above Villanova for the out of conference random enemy. Um, moving on to basketball, which we mentioned just a little bit, we were both wrong. Doesn't happen often. Usually one of us will at least be, uh, somewhat close to on the mark. Not the case. Uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about what we think is going to happen with Diabate and Houston. We've shifted how we think it's going to go down. And we were both on the last time we discussed this right before the decision was made. Uh, we were both on the train that one was staying, one was going. Nope, they're both gone. How do you feel about this? This this sucks. Yeah, pretty empty. Yeah, Not normally uh, is the case that you and I both just take a big swing and a miss here. Uh, I thought Musa was gone and Houston was back and you the opposite. So we figured we had a good shot at get one of us being right. But no, just like you and I, if we took a test together in college, we were both wrong. So uh, it sucks. It really does. There's no way to put it. There's a severe depth depth issue now on the team. But I guess this, like, an optimistic way to look at this is University of Michigan basketball program has two scholarship spots available right now, and there are still a few big-name transfers out there that have yet to commit. Joey Baker from Duke is visiting, I believe, this weekend uh, at the shooting guard position. That would be a big get. We've, we need we need a lot. Um, 
And I, I wanted to mention here because I heard this on Twitter and then I, I was looking up the validity of it. And it does seem like there's something to this with NIL for international students. And I think this may have played a role with both Houston and Diabate being unable to capitalize on the NIL because of what it could mean for their visa. So there's really no guidance from like immigration agencies, like specifically on how NIL will work for international players. So you could run afoul of your immigration status, which would be awful. Basically what it would mean is if they accepted NIL money, it's entirely possible that they could just get kicked off the team and have to go back to their home country or something, which would be awful for both them and the team. So if that's the case, it completely changes my opinion on these guys going like, yeah, you probably should do what's absolutely best for your family. I get that. And especially if you're playing with a bunch of other dudes and you see Hunter Dickinson raking in whatever he's making, um, that would probably be pretty frustrating. So that's just an interesting angle for these decisions that probably played a role. This is ridiculous. Like how is this a thing in 2022 that, uh, foreign players, and I'm including Canada and foreign here in air quotes, can like not be eligible for NIL, lose money, be, be deported. Like, what the hell is going on? This is so outrageous and so undercovered. I wasn't even aware this was a thing until you brought it up last week to me in a text. So, this is nuts, man. Like, this is, just makes no sense. It's very limiting on opportunities for kids like traveling abroad to the United States to play sports. So, this is very strange and uh, disappointing. It is. It is disappointing. I believe that the whole reason that this is in place, though, I mean, it, it does seem like a big oversight, is the fact that the NIL is so new. I imagine that there will be some rules on this, some guidelines. We'll figure out how it's going to work with foreign students eventually. And and maybe the way that it works is that like it, they just can't get it. I mean, I hope that's not the case because that would really be unfortunate. I mean, by all accounts, Musa Diabate and Caleb Houston, great student athletes, uh, good ambassadors for the program. I mean, deserving of, of the same benefits that their teammates were deserving of. So hopefully they get this figured out. But it does, like we were saying, it does really help to explain why two guys that are, I mean, maybe, maybe Houston goes very late in the first round. I don't know if Diabate is going to go. So two guys with rather uncertain draft prospects, both deciding to leave. I think that helps to explain it a little. Obviously, you and I are rooting for both of them to the like, highest degree to be proven wrong, especially. So it's it's really unfortunate, man. Like if, excuse me, like if you're hoping them like ideal situations, like ideal landing spots, where would you like want to see Houston and Diabate go? Both need to go to organizations that can be both patient and have great track records of developing. Um, you know, San Antonio, Golden State. Uh, Memphis has really been developing guys. They've been identifying talent and, and developing it really well. Um, Oklahoma City sneakily could be in play for Caleb Houston. I would not be too surprised. Um, I think they're the type of team that's going to take big swings. And it may not seem like Houston's a big swing, but you got to remember this guy was like the eighth ranked recruit coming into this year. So, I mean, they viewed him athletically and what he can be pretty highly. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be too surprised to see him there, but every single team could use a three and D wing. Um, but I'd like to see him go both of them somewhere where they can sit, develop and, and be at a patient organization with a coach. I trust maybe the Miami Heat would be would be great for either the Heat or the Raptors would be really good choices, too. What about you? 
<clears throat> yeah, very similar. 20 to 29 is very intriguing because San Antonio has a couple picks. Memphis, Philly, Milwaukee, Dallas, Miami, Golden State are all in there. So I think that's really the range you want because coming back around to the second round, you get some Indiana, Orlando's in there, mix, Sacramento. And those are the organizations that you don't want them to go to. You want to be able, like you said, to sit, learn, develop. <clears throat> Jordan Poole with Golden State is the ideal situation just to slowly become a guy like that. So I'm exactly with you, man. Just go somewhere stable where you can like either be rotational, get some G League minutes, really get your bearings about you, but not be thrust right into it. Yeah, places I don't want to see them go. And I mean, we're going to be able to tell after they're drafted pretty much. We're going to we're not tell, but we're going to have much better predictions about what their career will look like, because say Diabate goes somewhere like the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going to hate that. I'm going to be like, well, this guy may never play because it's not like the Charlotte Hornets are some terrible organization. It's just Diabate has got so long. He couldn't even dribble in the tournament. Like it was a liability if he got the ball in the post, if he made one move, it's like, I don't know if he can do one move, do less. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. It's just, he needs time to build. I like, I like Diabate more than Houston long-term because of how raw he is and what he could be and his athleticism and just his raw grit. will like get him on the court, in the NBA and let him, at least let him stick around for a few years until he could develop that skill um, Houston, on the other hand, really just has to work on like asserting himself. He seemed to have a confidence issue last year. And if you have that in the NBA, you can get bullied off the court and out of league pretty quick. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I kind of see it differently. I do think Houston did end up shooting 39% from three last year, despite a horrible start. So if you extrapolate that, like, could he be a 40% three-point shooter? Uh, the stroke is flawless. I have no notes on how you would correct the, the shooting stroke. He just, you know, started out slow and then started to heat up next year. So in a longer NBA season, I could see him being a, a 38 or percent or above shooter. So uh, with Diabata, he's just got longer to go. And like we thought DJ Wilson could be the same thing. You know, if he sits and behind a guy like even Giannis, we're like, oh, this is great. DJ Wilson's going to sit and learn from Giannis. But he went too early, didn't get to see the court and just it didn't work out for him. And. I want Diabate to hit more. He's just got a longer way to go. So I see it the opposite. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll both be wrong and they'll both hit again. You know, <laughs> we've got a pretty bad track record this year trying to figure out Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate. But my question for you is now that they're leaving, where do, where do they go as far as legacy? I mean, that probably makes them some of the more forgotten Michigan players, right? Just because it's a one and done in a kind of a neat season, but kind of a forgettable season. It's very much a blip on the radar. This team was barely above 500. I'll play a, a fun team and like fun to get behind. Memorable moments for sure. But you're absolutely right. Just kind of forgettable towards the end. Like you're going to think about this team. You're going to think more about Hunter Dickinson, Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks especially. It really feels like the Eli Brooks season above all else. So these guys will kind of just like fall into the ether and they'll be remembered by people like you and I who do this for a living. Right. Yeah, exactly, man. Uh, so let's take a quick look here now. Uh, positionally going from five down to one, it's going to look something like this. Obviously, Hunter Dickinson starting at the five, backing him up now. Uh, Terrace Reed probably uh, is coming in as a freshman. He's the number 35 ranked prospect. Uh, he's 6'10 with a 7'4 wingspan. So he's probably your Musa Diabate replacement as backup center. I don't know how often he would be in there at the four. What do you think? How do you see it? Dickinson with Reed backing him up or Dickinson with Will Shedder packing him up? 
it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a combination of lineups here to really find what sticks. And if Hunter Dickinson can take that next step as a defender, like he's talked about in the offseason, I really think that he could start and they could bring uh, Terrace Reed as like a great replacement to really protect the rim. But if you have those two out there together and can both hold it down and Dickinson could be the one to stretch the floor to the three-point line, man, that is a deadly, deadly lineup. It is, and it's time to start getting excited about Terrace Reed. It's time we move on from Musa Diabate. That is yesteryear. This is next year. It's uh, And you should be excited about Terrace Reed. This is a highly recruited guy. I'm super excited to watch him. Haven't watched a ton of his high school film because it's it's so hard to tell what you're seeing when you're watching high school basketball because these dudes are so much better generally than the guys they're playing against. Um, but this is a dude that looks like he could be a defensive anchor again. Like so, there's some similarities to Diabate too, and that seven four wingspan is certainly intriguing. So I'm with you, um, but I, I think it'll be probably you're trying Reed as your backup center first. Um, and then, and then, you know, we'll see what happens at the four. Speaking of four, that's where things get interesting is, is these four through two, uh, who's starting at the four. Is it T will, is it Jace Howard? Is it will shatter? Flip a coin is what I have to say to you here. Just, just flip a coin. I have no idea. Ideally, I'd love to see some good Terrence Williams minutes here, but the experience Jace Howard, a little undersized, but brings a lot here like with his effort. Like, I mean, he's shown this year when the team was limited due to COVID or injuries back on the full court press and everything like that, because he can bring some versatility. It's kind of fun, though. So I would say those two are the are the front runners for like the four position. But then you have the Will Shedder buzz. Like, I mean, kid's been everywhere this offseason. So maybe there's a combination of two or like, two of those guys, three of those guys here. I don't really know how to narrow it down, but like if my gut is saying it, this team would play small and put T will at the four. It's interesting. I see T will being the best option at the three, but yeah, you could see him play some four too. There will also be times where it's a little more positionless. Uh, will Shedder six, eight, Jace Howard, six, seven T will six, seven. So you got a lot of guys in there in that tall wing range. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, this is going to be one of those where he's going to have to tinker. Jawan Howard, that is going to have to tinker and figure out what works. Uh, you would So you would like to see T-Will. I would like to see Jace Howard here with Will Shedder backing him up. So that way you could move T-Will to the three. Um, so then at the three, who do you see there? You know, assuming that T-Will in your mind is playing at the four. If I see T. Will at the four, my three would be Jet Howard. I think he comes in there to give you almost like a three-guard look because I think he's more than capable of playing the two, but I would still like to see Michigan land either Joey Baker or somebody there at the two position if, unless Kobe Bufkin takes it. So I would like to see Jet Howard play the three. I think um, just from watching his tape, but like you said, like with high school players, it's really hard to extrapolate and project. But I think he brings just a little bit more tenacity at that position than Caleb Houston did last year. Not saying he'd be better or worse right now. I just think it'd be a different style of player. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, once again, he's 6'7". So both Jace and Jet 6'7". Jet listed as a guard, though. Has more guard skills than Jace, who does play more like a forward. Um, T-Will is going to have to get better uh, off the bounce. I mean, T-Will is going to have to improve his handling, his passing, all that stuff if he wants to be the three. So for that, I, I can kind of see what you're saying with putting T-Will at the four. But no matter what, I mean, you need to figure out someone that can be a secondary creator. And I, I do like that as Jet Howard. Jet Howard is going to play a ton now. 
he became so important when we lost both Diabate and Houston and and even Frankie Collins, because, I mean, we're about to get to the guard depth. Um, so where you play Jed Howard, I don't know. I lean towards playing him at the two just because of the depth or lack thereof that we're about to talk about. Let's also not forget Isaiah Barnes, who didn't play last year, but was a pretty highly recruited guy. Isaiah Barnes could be coming in at the three or the four, too. So let's not forget about him. Yeah, there's a lot of fun combinations to run through four and three, especially, but even with like Jed Howard, like through two and three. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do it and manage the size uh, discrepancies or lack thereof if they just want to play a huge team. So no, it's very interesting to watch. But I think the battle on this team will really be at the two guard. Speaking of two guard, this is where things fall off a cliff. Kobe Bufkin projected starter, which I mean, we all have been rooting for Kobe Bufkin. Can't wait for him to arrive. But Kobe Bufkin is not big and has almost no experience. We have not seen him in any big moments. Couldn't really trust him last year to be out there. There have been flashes, but I mean, these are brief, brief glimpses into what Bufkin may or may not be. So um, that's where things get interesting. This is where I have Jet Howard backing up Bufkin. But like you mentioned, this is where we could use a transfer. And this is where Joey Baker from Duke, who's visiting this weekend, could could fit in seamlessly. And then Bufkin's coming off the bench. That allows Jet Howard to be at the three. That allows T-Will to be at the four. So getting somebody in that could reliably play the two, give us some shooting, some spacing, some ball handling, that would make a huge, huge difference for this team. Because as it stands right now, this is the two is where I start to to get a little nervous. This is definitely where it falters, but I'm not as out on Kobe Bufkin. I, I'm I'm still like holding on to my stock here. And he is 6'5", so he's not like a little fella. And it brings some size to this position for the first time in a few years. But if he, if he can put on just like a little bit more thickness, just get a little bit bigger so he can handle the bumps on the inside, because I think he has the shooting stroke, but just as a freshman was, could be very streaky at times. Maybe some more minutes could help him like hash that out. Although again, this is just projection based and not what you want coming into the season. But I think he is capable of at least playing like a rotating role there with a Jet Howard or Joey Baker, like you were talking about. Yeah, Kobe Bufkin might be 6'5". He's wearing two pairs of shoes. I don't know about that. He looks closer to 6'3 to me, but um, they, they generally are pretty generous with, with these. But either way, you're right. I mean, that is good size. Even if he is 6'3", 6'4", at the two, that is good. And I'm not out on Kobe Bufkin. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. Um, you know, so we basically need a huge, huge offseason for Bufkin, even if we do get Joey Baker or or one of the other transfers um, at the one. It's Jalen Wen and then uh, Doug McDaniel backing him up. Uh, you wouldn't hate another transfer uh, at the point guard position because Doug McDaniel's like five, nine, probably weighs one hundred and fifty five pounds. I, I don't know what to expect from him as a true freshman. Um, so Jalen Wen, um, I hope you're ready to play big minutes. Yeah, I feel good just because of Llewellyn and like he's like, you know, the academics aren't going to be an issue having already graduated from Princeton. So now coming to Michigan for graduate work. So that's a plus. He's got the leadership. His his tape is really fun to watch. Seems like a very smart player. But I was I, I'm kind of like I approach this with pause because last season with Devonte Jones's tape, I was like, oh, man, we're getting this guy. But then he was like kind of frumpy. And I was like, oh, is this the, the same player? So I do have some pause when it comes to transfer now, just because uh, Devontae Jones' tape kind of spoiled me a little bit, kind of soured me on it. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. And it, it's tough. It's not as hard as watching a high school athlete, watching that tape and trying to extrapolate from that. But it is difficult when they're coming from a different league, like Princeton and Harvard and stuff is just not the same competition as you're going to get in the Big Ten. So that's just that is what it is. But I agree with you that the tape looks good. The numbers look good. We know that he's a smart dude. The size is you know, a little bit better than, than Devontae Jones, a little bit better than Jeff Jackson and some of the other guys we've had running the point recently. So there's things to like, there's things to be concerned with. And considering that I was expecting to return both of those guys and be like a shoe in for the big 10 um, or a shoe in for like an elite eight run, things get a little dicier now. And uh, I, I don't really know where to put this team. We're going to need to see them a couple times before I can have an idea. Cause you know, there's a world where Buffkin isn't ready. You're asking way too much of Jason Jet Howard and, you know, um, the freshmen just aren't there yet. And this is all Hunter Dickinson and Jalen Lewen and, and T-Will. Or there's a world where the Howard kids are like absolutely ready to go and Jet Howard's a stud and, you know, Kobe Buffkin took a big leap and this is a great team. It's going to be very difficult to gauge this team until we see some minutes. This is a great team for content, and I mean that because like I, I have zero expectations, and there's a lot of things this team can do. There's got a lot of different stories at play here all at once. I think this is a big Jawan Howard season. I think that's the my biggest takeaway from seeing this lineup and this roster is this is Jawan Howard's year. Like you want to show you can really coach. Like this is the team to do it with. A lot question marks all over the place. Minus Hunter Dickinson transfers, uh, incoming players, like just a lot at work here. So I think it's going to be a big Howard season. I'm excited to see how it plays out for better or worse. I'm with you. I'm with you too. And I mean, he'll really, really show his metal if he can turn this team and really develop these young guys. I think, uh, you know, not that he's trying to go anywhere. He's not going anywhere until his sons graduate. That's for sure. But I mean, it'll start to draw some national attention if this team again is like doing big things, especially later in the year. So I agree with you though. That's a good point. This is a good content team. So, I mean, we're going to have a lot to talk about and uh, uh, who do you think is the biggest wild card on that team? Kobe Bufkin. It's, it's tough, man. For me, I think it's Kobe Bufkin or Jace Howard. I think it's a one, two there. Isaiah Barnes is fascinating too, just because of the unknown, but with Buffkin and Jakes, you kind of already have an idea in your mind. And you're formulating what they are. So these are the guys that can really just throw a wrench into things if they take that step forward and um, just morph into something different. So I think it's those guys, guys we have a little bit on, but not enough to know for sure. I like Terrace Reed, too. I mean, he's the number 35 recruit for a reason. We didn't talk about him as much as we talked about Diabate, just because I think people saw a little Diabate content in the offseason. Like, what is this? We have not had a guy like this. And Terrace Reed could be just that. Like, he could be a guy that's like, oh, man, we haven't really had a freshman that can do this sort of thing in a while. And uh, could be seamless. It could be seamless. And, and that would be great. We're going to need to get Hunter Dickinson off the floor at times because, I mean, if he is working defensively, it's going to be harder for him to be that primary offensive option too. So having guys that can come in and spell Dickinson, give him some breaks, uh, especially if he's working much harder on the defensive end this year, I think it's going to be big, but I'm with you content team, baby. I'm here for it. Yeah, this is the first content team you and I've really had like in a while, maybe since like the 18 team, with, like Jordan Poole and them coming in just a mix of young and old and question marks here and there. So this team could win 15 games or they could win 25. So I like that range.
Yep. Uh, the 2017 football team was a content team because that would have been the uh, we had McCaffrey and uh, Joe Milton on the roster, right? That I think I'm thinking of the right year, the 2017 team. That was a good. Yeah, concept. they yeah. would have come in. They yeah. they would have come in that year as. as yeah, I mean, that was oh, had, Brandon uh, Peters was Brandon there. Peters was there. Yeah, it was just like a bunch of names that we were really excited about were there. And the content was great. The season itself was kind of meh, but we had a lot to talk about. So I think I think there's some similarities there. But um, all right, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're switching all the way over to football. Going to continue our positional breakdown, talk about the defensive line, the coaching staff there, and some of our expectations. We'll talk about that when we return. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We're moving over to football in the second half of this, as we're wont to do. It's how we do things around here. And we're to the D-line now, which after the linebackers last week, this should be a, a bit more refreshing. A little bit more to talk about. A uh, lot of names here. Not necessarily a lot of returning production, but still reasons to be uh, pretty excited. What are your overall thoughts about this defensive line unit before we start to get into it? Man, is this exciting. There are just so many names in this group. And like, while a lot haven't like really taken that next step, you could see the potential or like flash from a lot of these guys last year. And like, like we were talking about basketball, like this is such a fun content group, but in like an even better sense, because like there could be Rayshon Benny buzz. It could be a, a TJ guy type of game. There's just a lot of guys here and a ton of potential. Honestly, this could be one of the deepest defensive line rooms that I could remember outside of last year. Yeah, last year is going to take it as well as uh, 2016. You know, 2016 was a loaded defensive line group. I have it beneath both of those years. Um, I, I do. I even think 2018 maybe was a little bit better. But I, I see what you're saying, and I'm with you there. It would not surprise me if multiple guys hit, and I don't see a world where none of these guys hit. Like, I, there's just too much talent here. These are, like, highly recruited guys. We were just at the spring game, and we were, like, a lot of these names were guys that we looked at and were like, oh, yeah, that's a football player. That dude just looks the part. So it would be very surprising to me if none of them hit. I will say that. So, um, yeah, let's get into the group. This group is led by Mike Elston, first year at Michigan, but he was there as a student teacher or a student assistant in 1997 when we won the Natty, uh, played at Michigan. So he's coming home. 
he did great things at Notre Dame. I mean, 11 bowl games, two college football playoff appearances. He had the BCS National Championship game. Got put 12 guys into the NFL. You know, Stefan Tuitt was pretty notable of those guys. And, you know, really great success at Notre Dame. And I like that he sticks with a program, too. So he's not really been a job hopper. A guy that, uh, you know, if if he likes it there at Michigan, which, you know, all reason to believe that he will uh, probably could stick around for a while. This is his second stint there. Um, his defense in 2021 ranked top 30 in five major areas. That was pass de- defense, scoring defense, interceptions, sacks, third down conversion rates and defensive touchdowns, which is that's really the one that. Those are some some of the uh, the stat lines that you want to have and be among the best in the country. And and they were in the Fiesta Bowl. So Mike Elston's a guy that comes in. I look at him more as you're bringing an adult in the room. Uh, He's currently ranked number 68 as a recruiter. So a good recruiter, not a great recruiter, but a guy that, you know, is going to bring a steady, steady presence after being with a really quality uh, Notre Dame program for a while. All of his stops, he's been successful. Um, Yeah, so I just look at this as like, Adult in the room, this guy's going to be good at his job. And he's inheriting like a Corvette of of defensive lines. I mean, maybe not this group, but Michigan in general is just one of the best in the nation uh, at, at producing quality defensive linemen right now. So you got to think he's excited about what he's inheriting. Absolutely. And he's returning to his alma mater where he has so much history from as like a, a player and a graduate assistant. And like you said, he's inheriting just like a, a loaded room. He's not coming here to rebuild. Mike Ellison is is definitely a front runner. Like he was with Notre Dame for a long time for a good reason because Notre Dame, historically the last 15 years, year in and year out, has been competitive, save one or two. And you're coming into Michigan now, fresh off their best season in over a decade, and you get guys like Mike Morris who are on the fringes, somebody you could just, just nudge over that line into greatness. Mozzie Smith, who could be the best defensive tackle in Michigan since Mo Hurst. Push him over there. Guys like Braden McGregor, who just need who need some work from, like you said, the adult in the room, a guy that can really like connect with him and help like get it to like put two and two together and finally reach his potential. And then you just have the sleepers, like the young guys, like the Derek Moores, the TJ guy. Eyes, like the Cam Good, the transfer coming in. No, I think you said it best about Mike Elson. He's an adult in the room, and he's an adult that's being handed keys to a lot of different weapons here. And it's up to him and his experience to deploy them the most effective way. Well said, sir. Well said. Um, all right, before we get into the guys you need to know on this defensive line, let's talk about a brand you need to know, and that's Homefield Apparel at Indianapolis. Been working with them for a while now. It's been a tremendous partnership because they got a tremendous selection. They've got the new school and the old school. They've got your any Michigan design you can think of. Go to homefieldapparel.com, check it out, and they have got you covered. I like to go with the old school stuff. It's summer now. Rocking a lot of my Michigan gear as we speak. That's how I do, and that's how Homefield Apparel does. So go to homefieldapparel.com, and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout. All right, let's talk about the guys you need to know on the defensive line. Uh, You already mentioned one of him. I don't know that he should be listed first because we haven't seen it yet. This isn't a guy that's really being projected to do big things. But when your head coach comes out and says you might be the the next Aiden Hutchinson, we take notice. And that's Mike Morris. First guy we're going to we're going to note here. Uh, Absolutely a guy you need to know looked the part at the spring game, did he not? 
absolutely. And with Mike Morrisby getting like more buzz if his name were like Jet Williams, like if he just had a better name. It is a pretty standard name, but you bet on God, I'm not going to tell that to Mike Morris. This is a first dude <laughs> off the bus type of dude. Like, I'm pretty sure he ate whoever was starting in front of him like last year. This is a an absolute monster of a man. He looks looks like a defensive end in the Big Ten. Um, now we just need to see him put it together. But they're super excited about him. And if Jim Harbaugh says that this dude is, is the guy, uh, who am I to disagree? Absolutely. And you and I could see a little bit of the progression during the spring game when we were there, just the quickness off the edge, the bend. He's a very experienced player, played a ton of snaps last season. So just stepping up into that role and to really become a star, I feel like it's in uh, it's inevitable for Mike Morris. Like he just, he looks the part, he plays mean, he runs fast. He's probably going to be a captain on this team. And don't forget, he was one of the guys in the picture last year watching Georgia celebrate in the college football playoff loss. So I think Mike Morris could have a big season. Yeah, it's a guy that kind of like known he's coming and he's coming on. And I think that uh, everybody on the team sees it just the way he was carrying himself. Um, on the sidelines in that spring game, it was like a guy people were gravitating towards. He was like doing a lot of the trash talking and stuff. Seems like a leader on that defense. Uh, looks to me like a bigger, faster Chris Wormley, which could be like a, a devastating type of prospect. I'm super excited to watch him this year. And a lot is riding on his shoulders because, I mean, they're expecting him to to, to make up for what the third leading sack getter in all of college football, Naden Hutchinson, and then the 10th leading sack getter in Ojabo. So we got a lot of sacks to make up. I don't know if we can get there, but could Morris be a, a double-digit sack guy for you next year? Actually, let's plant our flag in the ground. Will he be? Yes, he is. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think Mike Morris gets to 10 sacks next season. I don't know fast he's going to do it. Maybe it's, I mean, you don't need one a game, basically. So I think he does, man. I've seen the potential. I think he's going to get a lot of help on the inside. I think it's going to be tough for him to get over 10, but maybe his like his action gets other guys, like allows them to eat a little bit. But I think Mike Morris gets to 10. I'm doing it too. I'm planting my flag. Um, you know, obviously health, you know, all things considered there. And we're hoping that for all these guys, but if he's healthy, I think won a game very doable for a guy like Mike Morris, just on size alone, he should be able to win enough matchups to get to that. So if he has any type of pass rush arsenal, which we saw a little bit of, didn't see a, a huge, you know, variety in that spring game. That was, you know, just a couple snaps. But if he has a pass rush arsenal, this could be a dude that's going to just fly up draft boards, fly up the all big 10 lists. I mean, a guy like if it were if there were a fan duel bet and you could bet on a guy that's not being talked about that is being talked about come draft time, this would be this would be one of those bets. Uh, let's move to the guy that I was considering saying first. This is for sure a guy you need to know. This is a guy that could very well be one of the best players in the Big Ten next year. Um, you know, there was maybe a little bit of trepidation with Mozzie Smith early on, but I think he's become, if not a fan favorite, a super well respected starter on this team. Mozzie Smith is the best player on this defensive line. I'm going to plant my flag there right now. He is a mountain of a man. Everything you hear about him this like from last season to now is he's just getting better. He's getting a lot more pressure from the interior, which is really tough to defend from an offensive side of the ball. It just really causes havoc. 
and I think he's going to have a big season. I don't know if it'll necessarily be reflected in sacks or tackles for loss, but I think Mozzie Smith is going to be the straw that stirs the drink on this defensive line. And just because the Michigan team is not as talented on the edges as they were last season, because of Mozzie Smith's progression and his just continued evolution, I think it's going to allow these guys to eat similarly to last year. Man, I love this. I love the confidence in Mozzie Smith because I was going to go the same way with it. This is one of my more confident picks as a guy that's just going to be a player for us. Um, This is going to be a guy that probably doesn't come off the field a lot, although there's another guy we're going to mention that could help spell him at times. I don't think it'll be massive sacks. That's just not what you expect from the defensive tackle position. But having interior penetration is massive for your defensive line that throws everything off whether it's a run or a pass if you got a guy penetrating through the middle that is devastating so I think he is going to be so big in the sense that he's going to command double teams a lot of times and then I mean you're singled up against Mike Morris or one of these other guys that we're about to talk about here that could spell a lot of trouble so I'm totally with you man I mean this could be an all big 10 first team type of guy I don't think he gets below second uh, second team all big 10 I really don't this is going to be a stud No, I'm not betting against this guy. Like, come on. it's it's oh. When you and I heard him last year on the John Jansen podcast, we were both just like taken away, impressed, also scared because he like talked like he like might have like buried a body somewhere or just like eaten them and just like absorbed all of their power. So, no, I'm not betting against Mozzie Smith and penetration up the middle is always a good thing. <laughs> Indeed, sir. Indeed it is. Uh, Guys, you need to know, moving down, now we're not necessarily going in any order. I'm going to try and get him in the order of impact that I think it'll be in, and you can tell me if you disagree, but I'm going to mention Chris Jenkins next. Athlon Sports is projecting him to be a fourth team All-Big Ten. I didn't think that was a thing, but basically they're saying this is a guy they expect to be a pretty solid player for us at Michigan. Guy that really popped as a true freshman, looks even bigger this year, looked big as a true freshman too, has the body Um, You know, not overly quick, but strong, very strong. And I think really intelligent seems to be like if you're getting out there as a true freshman, this is a guy that they they really trust to be on the field. So I think he's going to see a ton of snaps. So I feel pretty good about putting him at third and like guys you need to know. Uh, I agree with that. And one thing I like about Chris Jenkins, and it's going to be a common theme throughout this podcast, is a lot of these guys gained a ton of experience last year. Like the defensive line rotated, almost was like deployed in different units. And I think that could pay dividends this season with a little bit of uncertainty around some guys. I love like when you get later in the year, you'll have a game like Indiana or something, and you can see this happening where it's like, oh yeah, they're getting guys like in there for rotation because they know they're losing Hutchinson and Ojabo next year. Like, and you could see some of that last year. It was like, uh, here comes RJ Moten, Rod Moore and Macari page. And is that Chris Jenkins, Jalen Harrell and Upshaw? Like you started to see these guys get in earlier in games when Michigan was maybe not necessarily like guaranteed to win, but those are valuable, valuable snaps there against big 10 opponents that you feel pretty good about beating. And we did see a lot of those. And I agree with you. I think that those are going to pay dividends and, uh, Chris Jenkins, second leading sack getter on the team. Who, who do you got? 
No, I would go with either Upshaw or Harrell, and we can just transition to those two guys right now. Taylor Upshaw last season was third on the team with only two and a half sacks, but that's because he was trailing guys that had 14 and 11 respectively. But Taylor Upshaw was very good in his time last year at Michigan, a very big player, strong, physical, can run down the line. He had a play, I forget, I think it was in 2019, where he chased a guy all the way down on a reverse and tackled him right on the one-yard line, and they held him to a field goal. So that effort's been there during his entire time here. So I think he's going to play well, as is Harrell, who played a ton last season, really split time with Ojabo. And I think those two guys will split the second most amount of work. I think Jenkins will be inside, just kind of clogging up some lanes as well, uh, next to Mozzie Smith. But uh, Harrell and Upshaw, what, what do you think of those guys? Uh, yeah, I, I like that you're mentioning them together here. I know the exact play you're referring to with Upshaw really showed some more motor for a bigger guy like him and Chris Jenkins. They're starting to get like a certain type. Even Mike Morris is kind of the same, like just big, thick dude. Like whereas Jalen Harrell, more of that speed rusher, I think you're going to see him step into that Ojabo role full time. And I think he's going to he's going to do well there. But Upshaw is a guy that provides great depth. Like you said, he's big, so he can set the edge. I don't see like offensive linemen really bullying this guy too much, except for maybe some of the better ones. He'll be able to hold his own out there. I'm excited to see him. I think he'll go higher than two and a half sacks this year. But the guy that I'm really excited about is the other one you mentioned, and that's Jalen Harrell for the reasons that I said. He's stepping into that Ojabo role, which was uh, Josh Uche before that. Everyone that's had this role recently at Michigan has had success. I mean, he's fast. He's athletic. He's quick. Uh, you know, there, there's bend too. Uh, needs to develop more pass rushing moves, but that comes with more time there. Um, he's right behind Mike Morris. If you were betting on FanDuel guy that uh, we're going to be talking about come draft time that we're not talking about now, I'd put some money down on Jalen Harrell. So uh, excited, excited to see him and, and Upshaw too. But I, I got a little more stock up in Harrell. I could see him having maybe six, seven sacks, something like that. I I love these two guys because they're similar yet different in what they bring to the table, and I think they're going to really balance each other out and provide depth at that other edge opposite Mike Morris or even spelling him at times. But no, I'm with you on Harrell. I like his upside a little bit more. Harbaugh was raving about him in the spring. Uh, he'd practice with like every position group, like or unit, I should say, like special all the special teams, like all the defenses, just like getting all the reps he can. And he seems to really love football, which is a great thing. And I think these two guys together can help, like, I mean, like you said, maybe split what Ojabo did last year at 11 sacks. Like, if they could split that between them, Morris gets 10, then, hey, as a team, you're over 20 right there. Yeah, and you're in good shape. I agree. That's, uh, I mean, it's still a pretty optimistic outlook, but it is entirely possible. And these guys, I mean, what we saw in limited limited duty looked pretty good. Um, other two names to mention, you had one more on the list. That's Braden McGregor. I'm going to add Cam Good to that I believe that you absolutely will see Cam good um, he was not just like a rotational guy at UCF he was one of their better defenders so I think he brings some great depth in he'll be able to spell Mozzie Smith and they might run a little bit more true four-man fronts with two like defensive tackles this year it's possible having Cam good gives you that option so I'll hit throw him in there I'm a little more excited for him than I am for McGregor. I just keep waiting for Braden McGregor to pop and it might not be happening at this point. You know, um, this is a huge year for him and to see him not like not saying he's not grabbing the the bull by the horns or whatever, but um, you know, he's got several guys that have passed him up now, which is a little disappointing for a guy that we all thought was like maybe bizarro Aiden Hutchinson. Like, I mean, he kind of looks like his evil twin. So I just, 
I was hoping Aiden Hutchinson with like a little villain mentality. That would have been cool. I think I, you know I was expecting the same thing and really rooting for McGregor to get there. And there's still hope. Like there's still like it remains to be seen what he can do, especially with more time. Uh, last year he flashed a little bit, but also flashed his flaws as well. So you see the potential in him, and you hope a guy like Elson in like a room like this and the experience he garnered last year can really help him take that finally take that next step. Yeah, and I mean we've seen guys take that leap during the season too. So just because it didn't look like he was running with the ones uh, in the spring game doesn't mean he can't make that leap and pass a guy like Chris Jenkins as the season goes on. But as it stands right now, he'll be rotational. Cam Good probably rotational because Mozzie Smith isn't coming off the field. And then that leaves guys to watch that you might you'll you'll see a lot of these guys, but they might not be as important as far as like actual rotational pieces. Uh, that would be true freshman Mason Graham, gigantic freshman Kenneth Grant, gigantic German Julius Welshoff, gigantic sophomore <laughs> Rayshon Benny, some guy named Gabe Newberg, Derek Moore, and TJ Guy. And no, no Gabe Newberg slander. I, I, I didn't mean that. It's just not the best name. Gabe Newberg doesn't sound like a dominant defensive tackle. No, Gabe Newberg sounds like a forensic accountant, like a county police department. Um, Of the the list you gave me, I'm going to give you two. Two guys I really think could like pop this season before we get into superlatives. And I'm going to bet my stock on TJ Guy, who last year had two tackles and one sack in very limited time. But, I mean, we saw him in the spring, and my God, what a mountain of a human being. And the other one is I'm going to go on your boy Mason Graham from what we saw as well in the spring, a true freshman getting out there. Not even a true freshman. He's still technically a high schooler in a spring game. It's He went to winter formal two months beforehand. Like, you no, know, Mason Graham is going to be a factor this season. It's going to be, bring nice depth to the interior of this defense. Man, you stole my answers verbatim. So I'll go. Uh, TJ Guy, let's just take a moment. We're both planting our flag on this island. But luckily, there's room for the both of us. So I'm happy happy we're here together. We can talk about TJ Guy until the cows come home because we're there. We're already in um, just a looks the part guy. Like you mentioned, we saw him at the spring game and, and not just like body size and like the way the body, the way he was moving on the field looked like a guy that's ready to play, ready to compete right now, whether it's just uh, at depth or whether this guy can actually pass some dudes. He's still young. What year did TJ Guy come in? Is he a sophomore? He's a true sophomore. He's a true sophomore. He's a true this sophomore. Year. Yeah. So I, I believe he'll he'll pass some dudes up. I don't know who that's going to be, but he'll have every opportunity. You mentioned Mason Graham. I won't go too deep into that. But Derek Moore also uh, looked like a player out there when we were watching him. It was like, oh yeah, that's a freshman that's beyond his years. We thought he was Rod Moore for a while. We're like, who did Rod Moore eat? Like, what kind of steroids is he on? But uh, it was Derek Moore, and nonetheless. Derek Moore like just looks like he's got like some Rashawn Gary body going on. We had had a few Bloody Marys, you know, a few <laughs> beverages, you know, when we were making these. I'm just like, God, like if Rod Moore is this big playing safety, like he's going to kill somebody this year. And then we we're like, oh, no, that's a it's freshman Derek Moore. Good job, guys. We covered the team. Yeah, yeah. We, we, it wasn't our finest moment. <laughs> but yeah, I blame the the vodka, the early morning vodka and Bloody Marys and you know whatever else we were, <laughs> we were having that morning. Because yeah, I don't know how we thought that Derek Moore's like 6'4", 240 pounds, like. Rod Moore would have had to have basically been bitten by a radioactive spider to to achieve that. 
Who have eaten a radioactive spider to look like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I like Derek Moore. I like your Mason Graham point. You don't see tr- uh, true freshman defensive tackles come in too often and make a difference. But I, I really like what I saw with Graham. And uh, yeah, these are all really young guys. So another reason why we're like good content team, like Rayshon Benny, true sophomore, Derek Moore, true freshman, TJ Guy, true sophomore, Mason Graham, true freshman, Kenneth Grant, true freshman. Like all everybody except Mozzie Smith could come back next year too. like and Mozzie Smith probably still could with the the COVID rule, but I don't anticipate that happening. So a lot of young guys, a lot of names that uh, I'm super excited about. So um, I I think that, you know, secondary is still the strength, but I've got D line as the second strongest unit on the defense. Yeah, so we've answered some of these superlatives already just in our conversation here, but I want to throw a couple at you that we haven't. And uh, first off, who is your David Ojabo deep sleeper that could be an absolute star this year? And remember, Ojabo came into last year with one career tackle, and now he went to this. It was drafted in the second round after an eleven sack season, five forced fumbles, and would have gone in the first round had it not been for an Achilles injury at his pro day. Who is your David Ojabo deep sleeper? Well, this is extremely difficult because we just mentioned all these names and like none of them would crazy surprise me. Julius Welshoff might surprise me. So I can tell you some guys that like I'm going to remove Gabe Newberg, probably not this year. Uh, Mason Graham going to be good, but not this year. Kenneth Grant, not this year. Um, Derek Moore. I'm not betting against Derek Moore. Um, I, I think Jalen Harrell, you know, but that seems too easy. And I don't want to do that just because he's playing the same position. And he's literally the guy filling in for Ojabo. So that seems boring. Let's let's stick on Guy Island. It's you and me out there on TJ Guy Island. I think he's going to play a ton. I think he could have like four and a half, five sacks, which isn't like some crazy breakout for a true. But for a true sophomore, that'd be pretty awesome. Like so four, four sacks from TJ Guy. I'm there. What about you? I like that. I like that. I also want to say Rayshon Benny. I like the sleeper aspect to him. And I feel like he's just kind of coasting under the radar. A few people here and there said like Rayshon Benny is starting to do some things. Like he's like at the end of last season, they said it was starting to click for him. And I want to see if a full off season can get him there. So I'm not leaving Guy Island though. Like I'm right there with you, but I'm also going to plant a flag, plant a flag. And I think Rayshon Benny is going to be that guy as well. I like that. I like that. But they're playing him at defensive tackle, right? So he'd have to get past Mozzie Smith and Cam Good. That's like where I just don't know if it's this year, but I think next year you're 100% right. Defensive tackle is going to be sneaky strong again next year, I think. I don't see us losing too much when we go to Benny and Mason Graham or or however it plays out next. But like, I like a lot of the youth. I like the youth movement. So not a deep sleeper, but who will win the Josh Uche award for role player who steals the show whenever they are on the field? Basically like the T-Pain award. Who's going to steal the song whenever they're out there? Ooh, fantastic question. I like the way it was posed too. I want it to be Braden McGregor so badly. Like I want him to be the villain, basically the Iggy Brazdakis to like Aiden Hutchinson's Mo Wagner. That's exactly how I envisioned it in my head. I just don't know if it'll be that guy. Um, so I'm going to go, um, give me, give me Mike Morris. Give me Mike Morris after the spring game. When they are, when they won, he literally sprinted over to the other side, laid down on the field and like did a a model pose and stared at the opponent. Like, what are you going to do about it? 
Like, I think he's got uh, he's got the sauce. He's got a little villain in him. I think he talks a lot. I think he's a first guy off the bus type of dude. Uh, and I think like he's going to be fun to watch. He looks like the predator out there, like the the nine foot one from you know the original movie. Looks awesome. I can't go Morris here. I want to go more rotational guy on this one. So I'm going to go with what you said first. I want it to be Braden McGregor so bad. And I just have dreams. Like, you know, other people are thinking about like opening IRAs, 401ks, you know, catching a ball game. And I'm at home dreaming about uh, NASCAR third and seven packages of Braden McGregor, Mike Morris, Taylor Upshaw, and Jalen Harrell just like wreaking havoc against Nebraska because I'm a psychopath. But I really want it to be Braden McGregor to be the guy that just pops not like in every game but like when he's on the field in rotational duties he's just gonna make a play whether that's disrupting something whether that's blowing up a running back that's helping out in pass pro so I'm gonna say Braden McGregor for the role player that steals the show I like your answer and it was supposed to be a role player so I feel like I cheated the assignment um, so, uh, yeah, I, I like your answer a lot more and believe me, I'm going to be writing my wedding vows or maybe like at my own wedding, but in my head, I'm gonna be like, man, can you imagine third down packages, Braden McGregor lined up just outside of the tackle? Oh, baby. I don't know. Hand in the <laughs> dirt, lean over and nudge, nudge live and just be like, Aubrey Solomon deserved better. Like we could have gotten more out of him. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? It's our wedding. Be like, I know. I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Can't stop thinking about what Sam McGuffey would have been if he stuck around one more year. Derek Green, have you seen his tape? You have no idea. You don't know what's coming with TJ Guy, I'm telling you. Six four and a half looks like he's six six. <laughs> All right. One last question for you here. What is your one bold? I don't want lukewarm. I don't want cream filled. I want bold prediction for this unit. Something like you know, it, it's probably going to come back and get you, but you know we're optimists here. And, you know, last year we tried to be a little, you know, rational and the team won 11 games. So give me your bold 11 win type of take here. Mozzie Smith is the best defensive tackle in the nation and has something like five sacks. That that's my that's my God, fire right. Crush <laughs> that up and feed it to me. Let's go. All right. I mean, I had to make up for uh, for saying Mike Morris is a rotational piece. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that Mozzie Smith could very well end up being one of the best defensive tackles in the nation. And I mean, what did Mo Hurst have that one year? Let me pull it up real quick while you give your answer, because like he could be he could be better than Mo Hurst. It's it's entirely possible. Yeah, it is not out of the realm of possibilities. I love that. And I'm going to say that Mike Morris does not lead the team in sacks. And I'm saying it's not because Mike Morris is going to have a bad season. I think Mike Morris, is, like you said, 10 sacks, but I could see some, or maybe not even, maybe he doesn't have to. I think he will, but like I want my bold prediction is Jalen Harrell leads this team in sacks and it's with a dominant all first, all big 10 first team type of year. Man, I love your takes more than mine. I mean, can I steal some of your takes this week? These are these are great. That's a really, really good one. Um, yeah, I, I want to be super down with Mike Morris, and I think we are. I mean, we we just spent an entire pod praising him and talking about how good he looks. But uh, there's there's reason to think Harrell could be that dude. That is a tremendous take. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, that would not like crazy surprise me if that happened. So uh, 2017. Maurice Hurst had five and a half sacks. So I'll, I'll say my take will be uh, Mozzie Smith somehow beats that from the defensive tackle spot. And if you get to 
six sacks in this like day and age without the heart issue thing that Hurst had holding him back. That should be like a first round pick. Absolutely. If Mozzie Smith is doing that, especially at his size and what he already does and clogging up lanes and stopping the run, it has to be. And while we're on the topic of Mo Hurst's historic numbers of the hardball era, do any of these benchmarks, are they challenged? Are they broken? So all pass rushers, Sacks Hutch, 14 from last year. No way. Ojabo forced fumbles, five from last year. Tackles for loss, Chase Winovich, 19 in 2017. Are any of those broken, challenged, or if not, or if neither, which one is the closest to being broken or challenged? None will be uh, broken. None of those will be broken. Those are pretty good numbers. Winovich at 19 is insane, by the way. Uh, Hutch at 14 is also insane, by the way. These are great. These are great. Uh, I'll say tackles for losses gets closest, though, because if I'm saying Mozzie Smith has six sacks, that I mean, maybe that's 14, 15 tackles for loss. So, uh, yeah, I'll go tackles for loss, Mozzie Smith. But uh, force f- five force fumbles is awesome, too. That's a tough one, too. What, which How do you see it? This is a great category. I love your uh, genuine reactions to like reading these numbers. Just like, that's awesome. Like you're damn right. It's awesome. These are good times. And two of them are from last year. I'm having a a great time. (laughs) I think I'm going to go with five force fumbles this challenge. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think it'll be that. I think the sacks will be a little more evened out on this team. 19 tackles for loss is insane. That is just, Nuts. I think last year Hutch had like 15 and a half. So 19 is nuts. So I think it's going to be five. Maybe Harrell or Morris get in there and start ripping the ball out some. So I think that one's going to be uh, close. But man, you know, we have not been, you know, in a dry spell with defensive line or pass rushers under hardball. Right. And it's also like, how do you measure getting close? Because like getting to 15 tackles for loss is like still an insane feat. And that's difficult to do. But is getting to 10 sacks? I mean, even though it is, it's only four away. But like it, it different degrees of difficulty and like how you measure it too might be a little interesting. So force fumble makes the most sense, though, because if somebody gets to three, you know, then it looks like on paper you got really close. But force fumbles are tough to come by. Really tough to come by. And the fact that Ojabo had five, five last season when he really played like in a rotational kind of role when you look at the snap counts is nuts. I love it. I love it. Uh, Oh, you have one more superlative here. Yeah. Scroll on down, sir. Give me your bold storytelling style of how this season unfolds for this unit or a specific player. Just the way you cooked about Aiden Hutchinson a few weeks ago, just it warmed me up so much and made me believe the way you've talked about these coaches with like your depth, just that that tone you have. Like, give me that for one player or this unit. Man, that's tough. That's just like uh, asking Al Pacino, like, hey, give a speech as good as your any given Sunday speech, but make it impromptu and do it right now. (laughs) Tough ask, sir, but I will give you my absolute best. Got a great ass. (laughs) He's got a different different scene, different scene, but still tremendous Pacino. Um, So with this unit, I think that early on the schedule being uh, front loaded, very, very easy on the front end. Um, and then backloaded as far as difficulty, I think that that's going to help this unit because there's just a lot of unproven guys. So I think coming out, it's like, man, how good can this defense be? They're going to look really good against the Colorado States of the world. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. 
but it's going to be very, very interesting when the competition starts to level up. And that's where we're going to be able to get a measure of this unit. And I think that we're going to like what we see. I think that there's too much talent on this team all over the place for them not to find guys that can go out there and play at a Big Ten level. Uh, I trust the coaches too much. I think that bringing in Mike Elston is just bringing in a steady hand that's probably looking at this group and saying this is as good, if not better, than anything that I had at Notre Dame. And he's probably thinking, how can I absolutely maximize this? They bring in Cam Good, which I don't think should be slept on. I think that that's a really, really good piece. And now you have two defensive tackles that you really like, and you've got guys that you can build in around that. Is there a guy behind Jalen Harrell? Is Mike Morris absolutely that dude? Can Chris Jenkins take that step? And who do we have that's going to step up behind that? Yeah, there are absolutely still questions. But I believe that the answers are on this roster and I believe that you're going to see a unit that by the end of the year is once again, probably a, a top 10 defense. And uh, I think that the sacks will come. They'll be fewer and far further between than last year. But that's what happens when you have a generational year. So don't expect what we had last year, but ex- expect an extremely competent group that can get after the quarterback and excels against the run. You are the Captain Jack Aubrey of Speeches, sir, as you navigate the high seas of podcasting. That was fantastic. It's a great answer, exactly what I wanted to hear. And I'm, you know, I mean, no shocker, I see it very similarly. This group is going to be more spread out with the sacks, more spread out the tackles for loss. It's going to be more of a team effort, not as based on, not as focused on two guys. And that could be a good thing. That could actually, like, lead to like more longevity like of like disruption throughout the season no michigan state la- like lapses games more fresh bodies coming in not as easy just the game plan around one person like georgia did hutch like although it's like you always want a heisman contender on your team would you rather have one like 10 star player and then a bunch of twos or like balanced out all around seven so it's like it's very tough and it's going to be a fun year to watch it unfold who emerges maybe there is like the next star on this team that could take off but i think as a whole i love this depth and all the experience they got last year i think it's going to be a top 10 unit again which is we're not breaking new ground by saying it but those first three games they're going to set a tone and set like it's a tepid pace with sacks and tackles for loss beaten up on all the little cousins of college football. So, no, it's going to be a fun year, and I like that they get to get their bearings about them against those lesser teams, you know, the JVs sometimes, if you would. But, no, it's going to be a great season for Mike Morris especially, and I think it's almost an insult to the talent on this team for Athlon Sports only project two to be across four teams. Four. Count them up. Four all-conference teams. So, uh, it's going to be a fun year, and I think one of my favorite things about this is if you ask – 10 different people, they're going to have seven different answers about who the best player is, who the most impactful player is of this group, and couldn't be more excited. Oh, man. Well, well said, sir. I completely agree with everything that you said there. And yeah, Athlon's going to regret that. But maybe that's the problem is like we're having trouble picking who it's going to be. We have some guys that we expect, but just there's a ton of names, a ton of talent. So like who's going to pop? And uh, we're going to start hearing it. Come fall camp, man. I mean, we're going to have our ears to the ground and we're going to listen for the Buffalo coming because we're going to you know, be able to get out in front of this, figure out who these guys are and and see uh, just how how uh, prosperous we're going to be on Guy Island, where I expect we will uh, raise raise many children and have livestock and, uh, you know, ample, ample farmland. It's going to be it's going to be all right out there on Guy Island for us. 
I never thought it was going to be my desire to live on Guy Island, but here I am, <laughs> like front and center, got prime real estate. <laughs> on Guy Island. Actually, uh, I'm going to skip this one this weekend, Andy. That that doesn't sound like my, <laughs> my, my cup of tea over on Guy Island. Oh man! So, like someone's gonna be in the comments saying, "Oh, Andrew's gonna have this whole team, all first team, Big Ten. You're damn skippy. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, man. We cover Michigan. You want us to come out here and, and and talk smack like we're Star Wars fans? No, it's not what we do. We like the product that we consume. <laughs> uh. Yeah, we love it here. We love Guy Island. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't piece anything together. Just saying, oh yeah, Guy Island, it's great here. Just you and me on Guy Island, buddy. <laughs> oh man, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm out of here. Oh, uh, <laughs> anything else from you, brother? Before we wrap it up for the night. Oh no, man, it was a great one. Uh, look forward to next week. Finally, getting to the offensive side of the ball. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Switching to the offense. Where uh, speaking of which, go over on mazenbrew.com, wonderful website. Uh, you can read the top five running backs according to Andy. Couldn't agree more with his five. No notes. No notes. It's a great list. If you just want rushing leaders, uh, take a simple uh, first off, pull your thumb out of your rectum and then do a simple Google search and you can find it yourself. But this is more of a fun list to celebrate five guys. I love and It's not going to be some asinine list. That's just praising true Wilson and nobody else. So enjoy it. Interact with me. Let me know what you think. Uh, there's at least five guys that you love and we're happy to celebrate that. So, all right. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for us tonight. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple music, Spotify, or whatever. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is out of the blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.